Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 2, Episode 10. Well, you made it. Part 9 of a series on what leaders actually do. This is, in fact, the end of that series, so soon we'll be back to our usual roster of standalone episodes. But for now, let's get this place cleaned up. We have some good stuff lined up for the remainder of the season and a full docket plan for Season 3. I'll tell you more about that when we get there, but I think you're going to enjoy it. One of the most nerve-wracking things about doing a podcast is the fear that you'll be redundant, repetitive, or say the same things over and over again. So you might find it uninteresting to hear a little bit about my process. I keep an ongoing editorial calendar, which includes all of the content that I'm working on, along with target due dates. For this, the due dates are pretty fixed. Thursday evenings, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time or 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time. I give myself very little flexibility in that because if I did, well, I would take it. And as I said early on, I feel like I've made a commitment to you. Now, a little more detail. Usually about a month before a season begins, I take my working notes and create a draft of my podcast calendar. That's when the episodes get connected to topics and when the roughs of the script start to take shape. I'm pretty likely to talk about my workflow in a future episode, if that's of interest to you, but I thought it might uh, be worth a quick overview right now. All that to say that my original plan called for eight episodes in this series on what leaders do. At some point, that moved to ten, and then, after a bit more shifting of ideas and notes, it settled back down into nine episodes. And that's where we are now. Time to launch into part nine of What Leaders Do. You know, you can do all sorts of things right and still get it wrong. The challenge for leaders is that unless your character aligns with your leadership, you won't be able to lead. You won't be followed. And when you're not followed, leaders tend to resort to a bunch of really stupid tactics like force and coercion. Now, I'm sorry if my bias shows a little too much. There's nothing wrong with having to use pressure from time to time, but if it's your primary style, you might want to ask yourself if you're really a leader after all. You see, this kind of behavior can turn into an ugly cycle of dysfunction. Your character does not support your leadership actions. People quit following your leadership because they don't trust you. You're not getting the results you want, so you abandon good leadership practice and replace it with power and coercion. And worst of all, you blame the followers because they're the cause of it anyway, and the cycle continues. To the point here, your character shows up, for good or for bad, when the pressure is on, whether you want it to or not. I remember an old pastor friend who shared that someone had said to him, it doesn't happen often, but when I get mad, it happens all at once, and once it's out of my system, it's over, I never think about it again. And my friend responded, yeah, the same thing can be said of a shotgun, and look at the devastation it can cause. A big part of character is being able to monitor and manage your own emotions, but that's not the whole story. See, since the time of Aristotle, there have been four virtues that were deemed essential to a well-lived life. Now, these are not Christian virtues, and they didn't have a spiritual orientation, but these were considered to be the core of what it means to be a sound human being. 
Here are these virtues in, in no particular order. Courage or fortitude is the first virtue. It represents a willingness to confront fear, but also a willingness to confront wrong or evil. Courage means having a strength of character that lets you get through the hard stuff. It's kind of about having resilience and grit in the midst of uncertainty. Next, we have justice. In ancient Greek thought, justice is the cornerstone virtue and, and the foundation from which all of the other virtues are built. It's about doing the right thing for the right reason and with a level of fairness. Justice demands that there be no favoritism. Justice also means finding that crucial ground between selfishness and being a doormat, both personally and collectively. This virtue presents us from thinking too highly of ourselves and of thinking too little of ourselves. I'm told that justice is the virtue that has had the most written about it across the scope of history. That's my way of saying, don't expect me to give you a complete summary of all its implications. <laughs> Moderation is the next one. It's also called temperance. It's a reminder that ours is not the only age given to excess or to addictive behavior. This one has at its core the idea of self-control, self-management, the ability to manage our own desires, the ability to learn to wait. And it can also get to the idea of undistracted focus as opposed to squirrel. Finally, there's wisdom, which is also called prudence. This is all about the right thing to do. Um, the French word of savoir-faire, knowing what to do and when to do this. Wisdom is the ability to make sense out of complexity, and in the midst of that, sort out what's important and respond in a way that's meaningful and helpful. We sometimes think of wisdom as a static thing, but it's very dynamic. It focuses on the very things that are most important, and develops out of that. The writer in the Old Testament said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I need to mention that there are also three theological virtues, which are faith and hope and love, but these spring directly out of the Christian tradition and doctrine, and still, you need to be aware that they exist. So these virtues, wisdom, moderation, justice, and courage, are factors that we as leaders need to cultivate within ourselves. They form the foundation for our character. And now, connect the dots. So let's recap some of the things that leaders need to do. Over the past several episodes, we've talked about things like paying attention and keeping your ears open in part one. Part 2 looked at tending your team. Part 3 looked at setting a direction and leading people toward it. Part 4 addressed setting high expectations. Part 5 tackled the challenges of distributing resources. Part 6 was about managing projects and processes. And Part 7 focused on building competence in ourselves and in others. And Part 8 was a cheerful reminder to remember your own mortality. These things that leaders do depend on these virtues. It's surprising as you go through that list how often the ideas of justice and wisdom show up. But courage is there too, along with occasional mentions of moderation. As I said a couple of times during season one, what we do as a leader flows out of who we are. We have to cultivate the who we are side of the equation 
because that's where we have the most control. I can't control my circumstances. I can't control a whole lot of things, but I can control my reaction to them. I can't control the opportunities that come my way, but I can work to be prepared for them. The virtues can provide a framework for your own self-development. I'm sorry it's not a checklist of 13 things leaders have to do to exceed their own expectations. There is no shortcut. Now, a few years back, after I completed my Ph.D., I went headlong into the pit of despair. It was a big accomplishment, followed by a significant letdown. It turns out that's not uncommon. We go from highs to lows, and in the Bible, the prophet Elijah had his greatest triumph, calling down fire from heaven, followed by his, I want to die, depression. And wait, there's more. Psalm 73 comes from someone who had worked to develop great character, and he saw some of those without character thriving and succeeding, and he was complaining to God about it. So after I completed my Ph.D., Guess where I found myself? In a place where I was whining about the effort that I had put into developing character. One of my laments that time was like, well, you can't eat character. I felt like none of the virtues that I had worked to develop would actually benefit me by paying the rent or putting food on the table. What good was it? Okay, many years later, a bit more perspective, and I see things differently. Today, instead of you can't eat character, I would make the argument that the only thing you can eat is character. Character is absolutely essential to any kind of success. Maybe not to create it, but absolutely to sustain it. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, My grandfather often talked about the value of a man's word and how it had to be trustworthy. He grew up in the time of so-called gentlemen's agreements. There were no contracts, no lawyers involved, just a mutual pledge of integrity. That was the way of things for a long time. Then came the post-war years, after World War II, when the cultural mindset shifted to contracts and legally binding agreements. You know, that was a cultural practice for 40 or 50 years. But somehow, after 9-11, there was another shift that took place. People started distrusting legal documents and put a lot more emphasis on personal trust. With the emergence of local microeconomies, farm-to-table agricultural models, and concerns about product shipping and sustainability, a big segment of our economy changed. People decided that they wanted to do business with people that they could trust. The handshake deal came back into our culture, and my grandfather would like it here. Recently, I did some business with two organizations. One was a small entrepreneurial firm uh, where I worked directly with the owner. The the other is a multi-site corporate organization. And with both of them, uh, we decided to move forward on a project, and we had come to an agreement. In both cases, I offered to put some money down, but they said, no, wait till the end, and we'll invoice you then. For the smaller project, there were some incremental expenses, which I offered to pay along the way. And again, they said, nope, uh, no need, I trust you for it. That was the small entrepreneurial company, and I, I know how challenging cash flow can be, but still, no. Now, the bigger of the two projects amounted to a few thousand dollars, not huge, but pretty significant. 
And with those two projects all finished up and paid up, you think I'll want to do business with them again? Absolutely I will. They exhibited trust, and they have earned my loyalty, my return business. That handshake deal is back. Your character, your level of trust, and how well you maintain it must be one of your core competencies, both as an individual and as a leader who represents some segment of an organization. These days, despite the emergence of e-commerce, people tend not to do business with people that they do not trust. They might, once, I have a list of local companies that I will no longer do business with and that I will not recommend. I have done business with them, and I felt all the while that I was being taken advantage of. I no longer trusted them, and my trust, well, to borrow the words from a very old song, they had it, they lost it, it's gone. As we wrap up this series on what leaders do, remember that all of those factors hinge on who you are. They hinge on your character. You can build your character, but you cannot fake it. Years ago, my sister had a favorite saying, beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. That is a character issue. No matter how fantastic you appear on the surface, your character runs deep, all the way to the bone. So build your character. That effort will yield benefits for all of your days, and without it, it will make your best leadership efforts ineffective and maybe even destructive. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.